Okay, we're gonna have to start the video. We're gonna have to start the thing. We're going to pause it. Okay, we are Parshas Kisisa. There is a lot happening this week, okay? So first of all, who gives us a page? Uh, we're Parshas Kisisa, Kitisa. Okay, what page, Shani? 484. Okay, now, if you flip through the beginning pages, you're going to notice something very strange. Try to find the end of the first Aliyah. Did you find the end yet? Very long. Did you find it yet? Did you find it yet? It's really long. It's really long. Like half of the portion is going to be the first Aliyah. Goes till chapter 31, verse 18. Thank you so much for the searching over there. Okay, so if you take a look, you literally have the majority of the Torah portion is the first aliyah. And if you hold your hold your finger for a second, check out your second aliyah. It's not gonna be much shorter. What? The second is also gonna be long. The second is also a really long aliyah. Okay. I had this this thought. I, I, I fell asleep doing Chumash on Sunday, and I said, oh, I only had two. so short. That three, four, five, six, and seven are going to be very, very short. Okay, so one and two are superbly long. Did anybody get to the to the end of the second Aliyah? It's real. Yeah, it's also very long. It's very long. It's very long. Three, like, Yeah, three, four, five, six, seven are very, very, very short. So I heard from one of my sons that his teacher, well, yes and no. It only looks so long because it's divided so weird. So I heard from one of my sons that his teacher told him once that the reason it's divided so crazy, if we can say that, which I just did, um, is that the second Aliyah, for spoiler, take a look and see what is the story that goes on in the second Aliyah. We're going to get back to it, but just tell me briefly, what is the story that we have in the second Aliyah? The tablet. Right? We have the whole golden calf debacle. Uh, is it debacle a really good word? Debacle is a really good word. Debacle is a nice word. Um, why? I don't know. Oh, because we had somebody about, oh, no. We, the Mishkan. Oh, I love the Mishkan part. Don't we? We're getting back to the Mishkan part. She's don't get, I know, but don't worry. We're getting back there. We are getting back there. Right. So, so if you notice, the second Aliyah is the golden calf and the whole aftermath of that. So what he said, that his teacher said, and that's exactly how I'm quoting, I, I haven't seen it any more authoritatively than this, is that who gets called up for the second Aliyah every every Shabbos? First Aliyah goes to Cohen. Second Aliyah goes to Levi. And then third and on goes to all the rest of the Jews, which is the only tribe who, when Moshe said, who's on the God team, came en masse as an entire tribe? Levi. So we give the we give the story of the golden calf to the person who for sure was not involved in that in that scenario. So we don't we don't it's not like, oh, I know why you got that, Aaliyah. No, <laughs> it has nothing to do with the lady. Yes. So was it all the lady and all the women? As as a generalization, you're gonna have all of Levy, you're gonna have all the women. And obviously, it's not everybody who's involved. We're going to get back to that. I just wanted to show this to you because it's so strange. And then as Juliana pointed out, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the Leos are so short. If you can make it past Sunday and Monday, like then it's a breeze. 
<laughs> but that Sunday and Monday, I thought I was done. And I was like, oh, no, actually, I'm not. I'm missing lots and lots of pages to the Chumash that I thought I had learned. Okay, so let's look, let's see what's going on. If anybody can look at the first Aliyah, in this long Aliyah, as you can imagine, we have lots and lots and lots of things that go on in that first Aliyah. It's like a chapter long, if not a little bit longer. So the first thing that we're going to have is the story, well, not the story, the the what's the word the not the incident not the story the the plot no I, I don't know what the word is i'm losing the word okay the thing of the half shekel coins okay the first thing we have is that when we do a census of the jewish people when you count the jewish people then you should how do we count the people we don't count them by heads. We don't count them by noses. We count them by half shekel coins. Okay. And if you remember two, uh, three weeks ago on Shabbos, we had Parsha Shkalim because all through the, all through the biblical, all through the, the time that the temple stood, they did a yearly uh, uh, collection of half shekel coins, which both served as a census and as the money that was used for the for the communal sacrifices. There were at least two sacrifices brought daily on behalf of all the Jewish people. And that money was collected once a year around Rosh Chodesh, uh, sorry, around Rosh Chodesh Nisan. From Rosh Chodesh Nisan, you had to start using the new money to buy the communal sacrifices. So from Rosh Chodesh Adar, which was about, you know, we had it uh, about a month ago. It's not really a month, but whatever. It was four, three weeks ago that we read We read it. So we start to tell people, we announce that we're going to bring the half shekel coin. That was the first of the four parshas that we spoke about, uh, Shkallim. So it's actually five verses or so, five or six verses. And it talks about that every single person, when we count the Jewish people, uh, each person gives a half a shekel. And we have, and I'm sure you've had, we've learned about this already before, right? So we're not going to go back to half shekel situation. Right? How each person is only half, blah, 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 shake your head, answer yes, yes, yes. Okay, so we, so that, so the reading of the half shekel portion is over here. So we started with the whole story of the half shekel. And then, um, and then the next thing that we talk about is the making of the PR, which was the wash basin that the Jewish people use, no, that the Kohanim used to wash their hands and their, I was gonna say their heads and faces. Oh my gosh, it's early in the morning for me. They used it to wash their hands and feet. Remember we said yesterday, last week I showed you, they took right hand and right foot under the spigot and then left hand, left foot under. And that's how they used to wash their, used to purify their hands and feet before they went to do the service. So we have the, common, the conversation of that being made. It is the only item in the Mishka that we, that is described as sparkling it's something that's vinotets. Um, and and we know we spoke about this last time that the 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 kior was made of mirrors, right? The mirrors of the women. Um uh that they, that when Moshe didn't know if he should take it or not, so he they Hashem said, without these mirrors, we have no nation to redeem. So take it and use it to purify uh the Kohanim. Okay, then we have the we have two uh two uh perfumery uh um, recipes. One is how do we make the uh, anointing oil? This anointing oil was used to anoint the vessels in the Mishkan and the priests, only the first generation, meaning Aaron and his four sons, and the kings from the Davidic dynasty. So this little bit of oil that they made was going to last for a very long time, and we are prohibited from making that exact 
recipe for our own personal use or for any other use. You're not allowed to do it. That's the first thing. The next thing that we talk about is the, ne the next um, aromatic recipe is going to be the, the recipe for the Ketoret, which is going to be part of our morning prayers. Um, if, you, if you're following along with me, and in chapter 30, verse 34, 35, it continues over there. And that was made on a yearly basis. And we spoke about this once about how the Kohen, the, the, the um, oh my gosh, I'm losing my English. The Ketoris, the incense was actually just this much. It was whatever went in the three fingers that the Kohen had. It's called a Kmitza, right? And so they used to do this. They used to grab a handful and over the basin of the, of the thing, they would brush off the edges and that would, and that's what they had. So on Yom Kippur, they had like the end, they brought it more than once. And pretty much that was a yearly thing that they made. And again, there's a prohibition against making it personally. And then we have who are going to be the architects of the, uh, of the Mishkan, right? Because like Shani said, we've been talking about the Mishkan for such a long time. And now we're coming back to the Mishkan. We're just going to mention, by the way, who makes the Mishkan, who is the, uh, he's not going to be the architect because God is the architect. He'll be the, the head contractor. Is going to be Bitzalel, the son of Ori, the son of Hor, from the tribe of Yehuda. Here's an interesting fun fact about Bitzalel. Uh, Hor was the son of, anybody remember who Hor was the son of? Hor, we're going to have it later on. We had it before, we had it later on. Also, Hor is the son of Miriam, Mo Moses's, Moses's sister. I don't know how you say that. Uh, Moses' sister. And Miriam was married to, a little bit of genealogy, who is Miriam married to? Caleb. Caleb ben Yifuda. She's going to be married to Caleb. She's actually about 50 years older than he is. And in one of the Svarim, it talks about the way Caleb goes into Eretz Yisrael. Because remember, he's one of the spies that make it into the land of Israel. He's 85 years old when he goes into the land of Israel. Okay, now follow this. Betzalel is the son of Ori, who's the son of Hor, who's the son of Miriam and Caleb. That means when we're building the house of God, how old is Caleb? So old. No. Wait, how old are you? Go, 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 no, no, no. Okay, that's the question. But here's, here's, here's the, here's the, Mitzal's going to be very, very young because, because Caleb, if he goes into the land of Israel and he's 85 years old, how old is he met 40 years earlier? This is easy math. Even I can do this. It's going to be 45 years old. And at 45 years old, he's already a great grandfather with a child who's old enough to be the architect for the house of God. But if he's in his 40s, it's all like 18? No, 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 no. According to, according to most commentators, Betzal is eight or nine years old when he's given so the job. Of which part? But 45 and you're a great grandfather? You probably, everybody has to get married at like, what, 12? No, I'm saying like, like, I don't know. I'm just saying, I, I, I can't make, I didn't make this up. This is what the Medrash is telling us, okay? Um, but he's very young. Yeah. The, so he's the architect. And then we have with him, we also have Ohaliyev, the son of Achisamach from the tribe of Dan. He's going to come in uh, a couple of, uh, what? The other's name is Ohaliyev. One second. So in Bayes, in verse two, we have uh, we have Betzal, the son of Uri, the son of Hor. We're going to, by the way, we're going to meet Hor later on again from the tribe of Yehuda. 
And um, da, 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 da. and then in verse six, it says, and I'm going to also give with him, there will also be Ali of the son of Achisamach of the tribe of Dan. So first of all, besides age being like an interesting factor slash non-factor, right? Um, uh, we also are going to have like from from very, very disparate tribes. We have the tribe of Yehuda represented and the tribe of Dan represented. Um, and on the scale of who's who in, in Jewish culture, uh, you're really taking like from, from both, you know, very, very popular Yehuda and you also have uh, the judges from Dan. So they're probably gonna be a little bit of a less popular over there. And they're going to, they're gonna be in charge of making everything and it's gonna start listing all the vessels and all the, and the clothing and everything. It's not going into descriptions of it in detail. Again, we're gonna have it next week, but, um, and they're gonna make everything. They're in charge of, they're, they're in charge of everything. And one of the things that we mentioned last time, which I think is an interest, is an important thing to mention here is that the, the, the Hashem says in verse, you see in verse Gimel and three, Hashem says, I will fill him with a with the spirit of God. He doesn't know how to do everything. Hashem's like, I am going to help him do this. But these are the people who are going to be in charge. And again, that reminder to us that you gotta want to do it. That's all it takes. You just have to want to do it. You have to want to take part in building something beautiful for God. And then Hashem's like, I'll help you. I'll, I'll help you make it happen. You just have to. You just have to um, you take the initiative and have the desire and have the desire. Like, first of all, initiative shows desire, but, but to sometimes like you want, and you don't even know where the first step is, but the question is, do I want, am I, am I on fire? Can I do that? Um, and that's, and that's, I think something that's very important and their, and their age is going to be less relevant. You're going to have somebody who's younger, who's going to be very passionate about something, somebody older who's passionate about something. And sometimes those will work together and they, and, and sometimes you have older people or young people just not, just don't care. So it doesn't, you know, doesn't matter. Their age is not going to be their, their, their deciding factor over there. Okay. And then we have the prohibition of working on Shabbos. You think we have enough things in our first Aliyah? <laughs> okay. Then we're going to. Is there a reason this Aliyah is like very, I don't know there's a lot of information. There's a lot. There's, yeah, yeah there, there's a lot going on. We're going to have to talk about the whole thread of everything. But yes, I mean, even look in one aliyah. Huh? It's like this is like the most important thing. You know what the thing is with Tyra? Everything is the most important thing. But if you took, but if you look over here, you have building a house for Hashem, Shabbos. Um, uh, well, Right. And first of all, everybody has lots of stuff, but I think that there's two parts of how we look at a Parsha in general. We have the Aliyah and we have the Parsha part of it. So the Aliyah of it, yeah, wow, this first person who's standing up there. Imagine this is your Bar Mitzvah Parsha and like you have to read and read and read and read and read and read and read. Um, uh, you're standing there for a very, very long time. That's one part of it. But the other part of it, it's real part, it's part of a whole Parsha. And then that question is, wait a second, how does all of this stuff kind of fit in together? And that's going to be where we're, what we're going to explore a little bit. Not so much this particular Aliyah, why does it have so much information, but the, the whole Parsha is going, to, is going to seem a little bit out of sequence. The whole thing, the, a lot of the stuff that we're having in this Aliyah really could be put with another Parsha 
the, yeah. you have the end of the Mishka and Shabbos, all that kind of stuff. Like we've started, we, we started a conversation about the Mishka in two weeks. We've been talking about the Mishka for two weeks. Like why are you holding it here? And then we're going to get, and then the golden calf doesn't really belong here. And then we're going to go into the aftermath. The whole, the bigger question of how does the whole Parsha fit together is going to be a big question that I want to, I want to look at. Why is it all in one Aliyah? I don't know. I said it. My, my, the thesis that my son posed was interesting to me. That's so that we get a levy to, to get the next, the next major story. Um, uh, so this so we have, okay. So this, so we have the end of, we have Shabbos and now the Aliyah and Shady. Okay. And Hashem gives Moshe the two tablets. So that means we're back before the Mishkan, right? If he's now giving him the two tablets, um, that's very out of order also, okay? And what happens, chapter 32, which I don't know what it means. I, I questioned it. I didn't find a good answer. But, you know, we talk about chapter 32 and Tanya. You know, what is the heart of Tanya? It talks about Alvis Yisrael. What is it, chapter 32 of this parsh of this whole Chumash, it's going to be the story of the golden calf, which I, I have my thoughts on it, but it's not, it's only hundred percent my made up thoughts. I don't know. I don't know if it's, I'll share them with you, but they're totally, they're totally made up. Okay. Let's start reading. Go, Juliana, what happens? Like word for word? Go, go, go. Start reading a little bit. Let's get a little bit of the story. The people saw that Moshe had delayed in the mountain, and then the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, rise up and make for us God that will go before us. For this man Moshe brought us up from the land of Egypt. We do not know what became of him. Okay, pause a second. Who were they looking to replace? Read it again. Moshe. Moshe. They're not looking to. They're not looking to replace God. Right. Right. But this Moshe, this man Moshe, who goes before us, we don't know where he is. Now I want to say, isn't this a little bit insulting to Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> No, they they, they weren't they weren't approaching him as a, as an option. Moshe's not here. Moshe's gone. I think it's a little offensive to him. They, he was already he was they were doing a lot of dual leadership together. Moshe and Aaron, you know the dynamic duo. Moshe and Aaron went to Pharaoh. Moshe and Aaron to not as not as a as a leader. He's there as a student. We're gonna we're gonna meet him later on. I think like. I know, but I'm saying Aaron's closer to everything. Aaron's like, Aaron, like Moshe and Aaron, you know, it's like, a, it goes together. Peanut butter and jelly, Moshe and Aaron, like we're going to Pharaoh, we're doing everything together. So I think that's interesting. They're not looking to replace God. They're looking to replace Moshe. Keep reading Juliana, then we're going to move on. Aaron said to them, remove the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, sons, and daughters, and bring them to me. Okay, what is the clue that we are getting here when he says, get the jewelry from your wives, your sons, and daughters, based on what we know? Based on what we know about the women. So they didn't want to comply? Exactly, exactly. Aaron's like, the women are always on the God team. We see what it happens all the time. Every time there's like a major issue, the women are always on the God team. So, so Aaron's like, we need to slow them down. According to the Medrash, the Jews were off by 12 hours. They came to him at night and they were gonna, and Moshe was gonna go back in the morning. So Aaron's like, can we stall this situation? Can we not have this descend into craziness? What, what have we said? What have we said about the Jews and time? 
I mean, not, not, not terribly, we don't, it's not that we don't understand where their impatience is coming from, but, but time is going to be our fatal flaw. Do we trust God to do it in his time, not in our time? So yes, they are in fact, according to the measures, they're off by 12 hours because Moshe goes up in the evening and Moshe goes up in the morning, sorry, the morning after Revelation, he goes up. And when does the Jewish day start? At night. So they're literally 12 hours off. Aaron's like, we need to solve this. So he's going to try to get the jewelry from the women, Rikashir, and then what happens? Three, verse three. Yeah, my verses are funny. Oh. Um, so they go. All of the people broke off the golden earrings and hidden figures and broke into Aaron. Right there, like, we're not waiting for the women to, like, get on board with this one. We're moving ahead with this. Okay, he takes it and. He received the gold in their hand and fashioned it into crazy coal and made a molten pottery. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so one of the things that we're seeing in this specific pasuk right here in verse 4 is that there is a switch of, of ownership of the pasuk. We have Aaron starting. He takes the gold. He does something with it, right? He, he does something with this, uh, you know, v'yatsar oto b'cheret. He does something with it. And he, and he, and v'yasehu, whether he makes it into or they make it, it's, it's a little bit ambiguous, makes this, this calf, v'yomru, and they say, Jamie, what do they say? This is your God. This is your God, O Israel. This is your God, O Israel. Right, brothers are like, whoa, that is a plot. That's a, a real super segue going on here. Were they threatening to kill Aram? Why was he implying the first place? So Rashi says, so so if you see the next Pusik, Rashi says that the Pusik says, Vayar Aaron, Aaron saw and he understood and he builds an altar and he says to them, what does he say to them? Shani, what does he say to them? In the, hey, okay. Aaron's still trying to keep the track. Tomorrow, we're gonna have a festival for Hashem. We're still gonna keep this kosher, we're still gonna keep this doable. And they get up in the morning, okay. They get up in the morning, they vayalu olot, they bring an ola sacrifice. What's an ola sacrifice? One that's totally burnt and consumed. And then they bring shlamim. A shlamim sacrifice is one that's partially burnt and partially eaten by the owners. And then what happens? They sit down to eat. And they eat and they drink and they get up for revelry. And that litzachek is usually a key word, and Rashi is going to point it out here, for not good stuff. Right. There is an English word. There is an well, lots and lots of English words. The the litzachek over here, Rosh is going to say that it's they're going to end up having through all those those three thou shalt never ever ever sin all happen in one shot. So one Rashi says, what is Aaron see? Aaron sees that the people the people came to Aaron and Hor. Moshe went up to the mountain in. After signing, he says, any question you have, bring to Aaron or Hor. That's where we've seen Hor before. And they come and they say, make us a God. And Hor's like, you out of your mind? And the measure says they killed Hor. They killed him on the spot. So Aaron's like, okay, we need to go with another plan. But shouldn't Aaron know enough to be like, like, I would protect him too. I, I don't know. Like, why did he? 
Right. So the question, the big question that I want to look into a little bit is Aaron's, what is Aaron doing? What's going on over here? You're, it's like the same thing, like that Hoffa thing where you're supposed to like, someone asks you, are you, say you're not a Jew and I'll kill you or something. You're denounced God and I'll kill you. Right. So the thing is that what we're talking about here, idolatry, that's one of the big three. Yeah. Idolatry, adultery, and murder. Those are the three big that ones that were never, you're never ever allowed to. He should have let himself be killed. So then we have to say something else is going on because when Moshe comes down, first of all, one of my uh, one of my my famous quotes in our house, Hashem says to Moshe in verse seven, "Lech raid, go down, kishiches amcha, because your nation is sinning that you took your nation that you took out of Egypt." Well, Hashem says to Moshe, "They're sinning. You should go take care of them." So first of all, Rashi says that. Um, that Moshe is going to lose from his greatness, even though he's nowhere near the sin that this is going on. He's definitely going down. We use it in the house when kids are making trouble and we want the other parent to go take care of them. We're like, your children are sitting. <laughs> These are your children over there. Um, so, uh, so, so Moshe comes down and he says to Aaron, he, sa- he says to Aaron, what is going on? And um, what's it first? Aaron, first Moshe is going to pray for him. Uh, sorry, Moshe is going to pray for the Jewish people. And this is where we have that famous Hashem, Moshe saying to Hashem, if you're not going to forgive them, erase me from your book. And, um, and he comes down, when he goes to Aaron, he says to Aaron, what did the people, let me just find the thing. I think it's good. Yeah. Chapter 32, verse 21. So Moshe says to Aaron, what did the nation do to you? How did they get you? How did they get you on board with this? And, and, you know, how did you get to such a thing? And Aaron says, don't be upset. You know this nation that they they have this, this kind of negative tendency. So I, I do want to talk about Aaron's participation in this because, first of all, the whole golden calf question. Um, yeah, in 10, when Shem's talking about Yeah. He said, let my anger flow up against them and I shall annihilate them and I shall make you a great nation. Yeah. So Hashem, 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 Hashem's like, let's just wipe them out and start again with you. But Moshe doesn't have kids. He has kids. Moshe has kids. First of all, he has kids. But Moshe says, and Rashi brings example, that Moshe says to Hashem that if you have a stool that has three legs, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and that stool doesn't stand. You're going to have a stool with one leg and expect it to like last. Like we need to figure this this out. We can't just like wipe them out and start all over again. It doesn't work like that. Um, so so I want to talk about this. We might not get to the rest of the partial, which has a lot of very 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 important stuff. It has the thirteen attributes of mercy of Hashem. It has like lots and lots and lots of stuff going on. But we I'm I'm saying that we're probably not going to get there. Okay, so Sunni. I want to I, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk first of all. How do the Jewish people do this? How do the Jewish people do this? And specifically, how does Aaron? What what was Aaron thinking? And how does how does any of that make any kind of sense? Because you should lay down your life for idolatry. So Nachmanides Ramban writes in in uh, he writes in, in his explanation of of the story over here. He writes about um, what was Aaron doing? And one of the things that he says is that um, we have in Jewish culture, 
we do have figures. If we just coming from the Mishkan, where do we have the most famous figures? Figurines, maybe as a, as a more accurate. Yeah, the cherubs. Okay. In the Holy of Holies, on top of the Ark, are two figures of a boy and a girl with wings reaching up and over. Made out of gold. Yes, made out of gold. Do we see something going on over here? Do we see a theme over here? He says that the place of having something that is a physical representation of something spiritual is something that we have. It's something that's in Judaism. It's in here. The problem is, which is going to be the problem that's been historically, what, like, you know, Maimonides talks about how does, how does idolatry start at all? How do you have grandchildren of Adam and Eve serving, serving idols? How does that happen? Because they say, God is too great. Let's make a representation. He, God gave power to the sun. So we're going to give power to the sun as a servant of God. And then you move down a generation and they forgot the as a servant of God, part of the conversation, right? So our, this place of figurines, we have Kruvim in the Mishkan. Now, whether the Jews knew about the Mishkan or not is a whole different conversation, right? We had the, we, we, we've had this conversation, we're gonna have it again. When did they find it out of the Mishkan? But Moshe definitely had this conversation about the Mishkan. We've had, we know about it from before. It's already been written in the Torah. This place of having a figurine is not foreign. It feels totally foreign. It's not so foreign. What actually is going to end up happening is as a result of the golden calf, we are now going to have a prohibition against making any kind of figurines in your own space. Meaning you can do it for the house of God, but you can't do it for your house. That's the first time we hear about it is kind of almost the Ramban says it's a, it's a, it's a pushback to the golden calf. To the golden calf, what is Aaron doing? He takes, he's engraving, he's doing something. He says, wait a second, we need some kind of, you know, anybody here ever try to meditate? Yeah. Okay. I am a failed meditator. I, 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 I whatever. I'm sure there are people who can do it, but, the, but, you need to be able to have something that you can hold onto a visual to now. Now what happens when that visual isn't good enough anymore? What happens when you give that visual more power than it was meant to have? It's only meant to be a representation. It's not a representation anymore. Now I'm worshiping this. I'll give you a, for example, and a few more parshas. We're going to have a situation where the Jews are going to sin, shockingly enough, and the snakes are going to come and they're going to bite them. And the Hashem's going to tell Moshe, make a copper snake. And when the people look at the copper snake, they're going to be healed. That copper snake existed in Judaism for 800 years till King Chizkiyahu melted it down. He ground it down and he, and, he, and he destroyed it. Because what happened was in the beginning, when people would look at the snake, they didn't think the snake was healing them. They understood. We're looking up. We're looking to Hashem. We're being healed. Once it came to a place where the people were taking the snake as a power for itself, then it become, then it became, then, then I was like, we got to get rid of this. It's not good. This is not good anymore. Um, what's Aaron trying to do? Aaron's trying to give the people a physical focal point that we could, uh, we could focus on kind of like cherubs, but the desert is a much more harsh place. It's a Gavura place. And on the celestial uh, chariot of Hashem, the shore, the ox is, 
that which represents Gevura. So Aaron is trying to fashion some sort of physical representation that the people are not going to worship, but the people are going to have a focal point for connection to Hashem, kind of like the cherubs would have would, would be in the base of Mikdash. What happens? The people say, this is God. This is this is living and breathing. This is God. And then that's like, I was like, I don't know where that came from. Well, according to the Medrash, according to the Medrash, the calf that comes out, and it's in Tillam, they actually, in, 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 King, in, in Tillam, in chapter, I think, 106 or 107, they have another description of the Exodus. King David gives a description of the Exodus, and it describes a calf that you made, you threw over God, and you made a calf eating grass. And according to the Medrash, the calf that came out of that fire was alive, and it was frolicking, isn't that frolicking and it was eating grass. Now, I don't know where I found grass in the desert, but that's what King David says. It was actually alive. And it's very hard to convince people that this living, breathing thing isn't real. It isn't, you know, it isn't a full, it isn't a real power. Now, here's the question. Can there be a real power that still isn't our source? So Aaron is trying to make a focal point for them, let's say for prayer. The the Medrash gives two examples or two, two possible answers for how this thing became alive. One is that the Erev Rav, the people who came out of Egypt with them, what do we know Egypt was known for? For magic, right? They, with their, with their sorcery, they came with those skills, somehow enlivened it. The more, uh, another, I, I think maybe more bizarre thing is where we have a conversation that there's this person called Micha. Um, the Medrash describes Micha that he's one of the, he was a baby who was and the, the Egyptians in their cruelty when the Jews didn't have enough of the quota of bricks, they would take babies and put them into the, yeah, into the pyramids and Moshe was horrified and he saved a child. Um, and, and this Micha is somebody who, who he, who he saved and the, and the Medrash describes that Micha, when he crossed the sea, had various idols on his person. It was like God's one of the one of one of the was with Moshe when Moshe went to go get Yosef. Remember, we had this conversation. Yosef's bones are buried. How to get the bones out? We take a, a papyrus that has God's name and it says Alei Shor. Yosef's symbol is an ox. Throw it into the river. We had this conversation, right? Yeah. And the thing, the thing lifts up. Micha reaches over, grabs the thing, pockets it for later use. And when the gold, when the gold is being melted down, he throws his paper. Well, papyrus, whatever, into the into the fire, and guess what? Alaysha, we now have a living, breathing, um, uh, living, breathing uh, thing to deal with, which immediately is going to turn into like a, a, a balagam. It's just going to be such a balagam for the people. Um, they're going to go into. So we have their idolatry. We have their murder. The final one of the three of adultery is going to be the third revelry that's going to happen. You see how the you see how the whole progression is going to go. So so an interesting thing. So okay, so we spoke about Aaron for a little bit, and and according to Ramban, according to Nachmanides, we saw, we kind of see what's going on with Aaron. He didn't intend to make an idol. He intended to make some kind of form for the Jewish people to worship, and that's kind of and and then it got twisted. And so that's one of the things that we're really seeing about the the uh, the danger, I guess, of of images and all this kind of stuff.
the other question I don't know not so uh, I'm not saying no I'm saying I don't know okay there's a pattern over here um, uh, the other question that we want to ask ourselves is like the Jewish people the Jewish people 40 days before they had revelation at Sinai it has never been replicated it's like you know right we all say like what what right you had the most amazing thing that is ever going to happen to the jewish people it's not like oh it's a once a year once in a lifetime event it's like once it's like that's it never to be replicated and and that's it and and 40 days later you're like uh this isn't working for us i kind of just like how do you ever Think anything else is Hashem after like that? But with the golden hat, like it was a gold thing, jumping around, eating. I know, but they started. They came to Aaron and they said, "We need something, yeah. right?" Like, what I'm saying, like, it, it, like seeing that, how can we not be like, correct? Oh, we're seeing something really amazing. Correct, correct, that. correct. So you have like, I once it's alive and it's yeah. moving. I understand why they went on board with that. The question of like, really? Yeah. So two interesting thoughts. Greedy. No, I want to say, no, I don't want to use the word greedy for them. I want to use two different words for the Jewish people. One is that they were spiritually immature. The Jews have been coming from a year and a half of unbelievable miracles. They've, they, they don't even know what's normal anymore. They have no idea what baseline is. They the, the river turns to blood and the this and the blah. like every time you blink, there's something, some crazy miracle, some awesome miracle happening. And like now what? Ha, now 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 you want me to go back to normal? So first of all, they have Sinai. And then and, and then and now what? And now what? Right? So Rev Steinzel says that. From this amazing peak of Sinai, Moshe goes to the mountain and he's communing with Hashem for 40 days and 40 nights. What happens to the people? They're just left there. They're just sitting there twiddling their thumbs. And whenever you have an amazing spiritual high, if it isn't grounded, you're opening up a vacuum and nature abhors a vacuum and something's coming in there. If we don't fill it with good, it's going to get filled with something that's not so great. So Moshe, he doesn't get this low. He doesn't get any of this low because he's talking to God. What happens to the Jewish people? They have this amazing revelation. That's so anxious. And then, and then what? And then nothing, nothing, nothing. Like we're all, can you, can you just picture that? Like the day after, you know, kind of walking around like, okay, now what do we do? What do we do? We're waiting for Moses, waiting for Moses, waiting for Moses, waiting for Moses. Like it's such a stressful thing to do. And, and Rosh Daniel says that the golden calf is actually the natural follow-up to, to revelation because it wasn't filled immediately with something good. We, he talks and he, he brings examples like after the high of Yom Kippur, we immediately start going into building a sukkah, like ground that emotion. And one of the things we talk about a lot is that when you have a, an amazing experience, if we don't ground it into a behavioral change or into a behavioral something, then that wow experience just goes away. And then you're left with this empty feeling. You're left with a very 
you know, it's interesting because Rav Scheindel also he also gave the example of birth, and it says that that uh, that one of the things that Hashem controls the keys for this are in His hands. Hashem controls the keys to birth. So a woman who's pregnant and has has the shechina there, you know, in her the whole time, and then when she goes through the whole experience, the energy of delivery and all that kind of thing, and then afterwards, when that's over. There is a tendency to feel like now what, right? And and like the baby blues, and if it isn't taken care of, could really go into something much more serious, to like a real postpartum depression situation. It's it's coming from the follow up of a high that isn't that isn't going to be treated. Um, so I wanna I wanna first like for us, you know, we we go through we're we're in places of learning, we're places of growing. When we have experiences that that take our breath away. I think that we need to figure out, and now how do I ground this? How do I make this <gasps> something that makes a difference in how I interact with people tomorrow, how I interact with myself tomorrow? If I just say, wow, that was amazing. And now what? And now what? Um, so that's, so that's, that, that's pretty much like, those are a couple of thoughts I wanted to have on the gold, on this whole golden calf situation. Um, uh, I want two more things are happening this Shabbos. First of all, we're going to be taking out two Torah scrolls this week. We are going to be reading Parshas Para, which is the, the, the reading of the red heifer. We have the reading of the red heifer this week. It's the third of the four uh, special Parshas. And as we're coming closer to Pesach, which we are going to have to talk about, and uh, we're not stressing that at all, but as we come closer to Pesach, in the times of the temple, people, they read Parshas Para to say, hey, everybody, you got to go bring a, a Pesach sacrifice. Do you need to go through a ritual purification process, which is done through the red heifer? So we're going to read about Parshas Para this week. The other thing that's going on this week is that it's Shabbos Bevarchim. We're blessing the month of Nisan. I feel like we just were talking about Adar, blessing the month of Adar like five minutes ago, but we're going to be blessing the month of Nisan. So I want to give us a bracha that this Shabbos, so much is happening. We have everything that's going on in the Parsha, the stuff that we touched on, the stuff that we didn't get to yet. Um, we also have this place, this conversation of the red heifer, this conversation of purification, of striving for something bigger and more than what we have right now. Um, and it's also, we're, we're blessing the month of Nisan. And one of the things that we talk about Nisan is that like, it has two nuns and they both represent miracles. And it's a, it's a, a very, very miraculous kind of month. And yet it's still Adar. So we know that Adar has the Simcha, Nisan has the miracles, so that we should be able to go through whatever kind of purification we want to stretch in our relationship with Hashem. We should do it with Simcha and we should be able to see the miracles that are going to flow and, and come to us by the place of us taking one step forward from a place of joy, not from a place of nebuch pour me, but really that other joy coming into our para, coming into our place of purification. And then we should be able to see amazing miracles. And I mean, we'll have a ring in my house then. Yay. I'm going to stop this.